with Leviathan and his royal quelled, and the Domans settled into their new crystalline home. The realm ought to settle at least briefly, although in Eorzea, nothing is ever quite that simple. The Domans, after all, are not the only waylaid group of people, and the Primals are not the only beings capable of disturbing the peace. Machinations of the political and economic bubble beneath the surface while the very heart of mankind is put on trial by the gods. The defenders of Eorzea have much on their plate, and perhaps the time has come to expand their retinue to deal with an uncertain and fragile world. I'm Nero. And I'm Jane. And this is Radio Free Heidelin. Yes, welcome back everybody to an exciting new patch. We've got patch 2.3, Defenders of Eorzea, and oh boy, this one gets pretty dense. Yeah, it's, um, a lot more happens in this patch than I ever remembered happening, frankly. Um, but not to get too far ahead of ourselves, let's first discuss just a brief little overview of the things that were added in this patch and its sub-patches. Um, obviously, your, your your usual stuff. MSQ, Hildebrand, uh, Circus Tower, the second chapter of the Crystal Tower, uh, ver- a smattering of hard dungeons. Um, but more interestingly, you have the Ixil quests uh, for the Myriad Tribes, and you have the introduction of PvP with Frontline. Yes, Frontline makes its debut appearance right here as there is like this sort of narrative explanation for why it exists which we'll get into a little bit later but it's it's very funny it's basically all military exercises it's play fighting it very quickly it very quickly stops mattering at all um additionally you also got chocobo raising death synthesis and personal housing before this the only housing available was free company housing, but now uh, player housing was added. Yes, which is uh, which is very fun. Uh, they're they're really adding lots of new features in the in these patches. Um, but not to uh, not to dwell too long on the patches themselves. We've got quite a lot of content to get through, and we're starting once again with uh, with some refugee problems. Yes. Chiefly, this patch and its story deals with three things. The, the, the one it deals with the most is this continuation of Old Da's refugee problem. The second thing is Ramu and the Sylphs. And the third thing is some setup for Heavensward. Um, but we'll get to those in due time. Indeed we will. But for now, let's talk about that first thing. So, you know, the Domans, they got resettled, they got put in um in uh in Mordona. They're you know, they're they're making a life for themselves. Things are going pretty okay at this point. You know, they've they've sort of slotted into society there pretty seamlessly and things are going well. In fact, they're going so well that word has spread pretty far and wide of the success story of the Doman relocation project. And a bunch of the other people who themselves have been displaced hear that and they say, oh, uh, can we can we live there too, please? <laughs> and yeah, they, these could be Alamegan refugees. They could be these could be refugees from the calamity. The 
it doesn't really matter. They are they are the various peoples who live outside of Uldaz walls and along Pearl Lane, um, and and they would all like to perhaps uh, be given the same opportunities that the Domans were. But as Menphilia tells them, they you know these they the Mordona's resources are not infinite, and they could not quite accommodate this many people in such a short amount of time the domans uh, she says were a special case yeah the domans the domans were in a sort of unique situation and there were really ultimately not that many of them a few hundred um if if you count like i I believe it was like 200 on that first boat and there were like two or three other boats so you know we're we're talking like maybe about a thousand people maybe less than that which is not an enormous amount of people and that's uh you can you can accommodate that without like too much issue yeah but when we're talking about like you know the refugees from the calamity the refugees from alamigo we're not talking about like maybe a thousand people we're talking about thousands plural of people scattered all over the the realm like a bunch of people who are living in tents and outside the city walls that are all really really tired <laughs> of living in squalor and they want a piece of that pie one thing this guy brings up uh that i noted was that he says yeah you can find work in old uh, but it's never honest work the the only people who are offering work to refugees are probably doing something shady right you're gonna you're gonna be brought on as like muscle or a grave digger, or some other shit for, like, whatever syndicate business is going on. Exactly. Plausible deniability. If they get caught doing a bunch of shady shit, they can just offhand all of the responsibility on these, you know, refugees and be like, oh, well, you know how they are. Clearly this was just them being up to no good again. Um, And, you know, it also lets people with more, let's say, broad-spanning uh ideas to to get some things done maybe you want to like generally make people dislike the refugees more well it's pretty easy to do that if you just hire a bunch of them to do something really really shady and then kind of spill the beans on it but this is where the main thrust of this patch starts because tataru interrupts this conversation to say that uh riots have broken out in old and alphano has been injured he has been attacked Yes, he got injured in a riot, one of these peaceful protests that these um um that that the the refugee representatives that came to talk to Minfilia uh mentioned, one of those protests turned violent and uh apparently Alphano was injured in the process. Um the guys who who came to see you of course are completely you know, beside themselves, like, this This isn't right, they were supposed to be peaceful, like, clearly they were provoked by something, they wouldn't just do that, um, and most importantly in my mind, uh, the one guy in particular, the main guy, was very concerned, he, he kept using language like, you know, he sees the writing on the wall, he knows what's coming when you take a group of people particularly a group of people of you know let's say the same ethnic persuasion and you um 
sort of categorize them broadly and you put them in slums and you only use them as scapegoats and hard labor and you know eventually eventually you know when society gets tired of having those people around things can turn very bad very quickly and i don't necessarily i I don't, i don't really blame this guy for being um you know, wanting to get the fuck out of Dodge uh, before that happens. Yeah, so I just, I just want to put all our, all the cards on the table right here at the beginning. Uh-huh. So we get everything out here first. This patch is mostly about Teleji Adeleji funding false flag operations for a real estate scheme to get a big gun. Yes, like. So, okay, Teleji's plan, right, is he he wants everybody to hate the refugees even more, so much that they are willing to kick literally all of them out or kill them. And then he wants to come and offer the refugees, like, oh, don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna take all of you, we're gonna find a new place for you to settle that can be just for you, and all that. And this big political pressure to get all these people the fuck out of Olda and the other cities is going to be used to push the Cartano Reclamation Bill. Now, Cartano, hilariously, that's the narrative reason Frontline exists here. Like, in because everybody wants the fucking battered, bruised remains of the fields of Cartano. Um, because apparently when uh, the moon with Bahamut in it crashed, it caused a bunch of really, really expensive old technology to appear, and they all want a piece of that. So instead of, like, going to war, they're all just kind of, like, play-fighting about it. Um, but Teleji, he, he, he wants it just for himself. Because uh, underneath all that is Omega, which is apparently a weapon to surpass Metal Gear. Yeah, we'll talk more about Omega later. Um, but for now, like put put all of the Teleji Adeleti wants to take over the world with a big robot spider, which is what Omega kind of looks like. Out of your minds for the moment. That's all stupid. Um, the main... Th- this is sort of an unfortunate pregame for what... Uh, Stormblood thinks about what a proper revolution is. Um, it's, 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 there's a future expansion that will deal a lot with Alamigo, and we're dealing a lot with Alamigan refugees now, and I hate this. All of it. <sighs> it's bad. It's really bad. There, so we... Uh, I would <sighs> I hesitate to say lovingly call this patch Riot Cop Simulator because it's not lovingly. It's it's very derisive, but we do call it Riot Cop Simulator for a reason. Yes, you are, as the Warrior of Lights, tasked to, to discipline some belligerents, shall we say. And no, we, it, it, you don't kill them. The game is bad at communicating this, as it often is with these combat sequences, but you don't kill them. You just beat the shit out of them until they stop wanting to uh, kill the syndicate, which frankly is a, from where I am sitting, is a perfectly reasonable uh, position to have at this point. Uh, yeah, but you know who is killing people? The Immortal Flames. 
oh boy, they're killing people. They're straight, like, that dude at the beginning who's like, hey, if things get any worse, the flames are just gonna basically start a pogrom and then kill all of us. Well, guess what? That's exactly what the flames are doing. They're, you know, Raoban is like, oh man, I gotta kill all these refugees so they stop, like, revolting at us. Oh, what a pain, am I right? And you're just supposed to be like, oh, golly gee willikers, Raoban, you're right, that does sound like a pain in the shoulder, don't worry, I'll help you out there. Like, it doesn't really, the narrative doesn't really address the fact that, like, you know, your good buddy Raoban is out here ordering, like, the wholesale slaughter of a bunch of, like, protesters. It, the game kind of justifies, like, okay, but it doesn't even justify it. it. It tries to, like, skirt around this by, like, revealing that all of this was kicked off by Taleji basically paying off um, some brass blades to, uh, you know, open fire first on a bunch of unarmed protesters and, like, basically do, like, oh, fuck, what is it? Like, basically do, like, a, a massacre. A Boston and, massacre. Like a, yeah, like, straight up just do, do like, a Boston massacre right then and there. And um, everybody's just like, oh, well, fuck this shit. And they start, uh yeah after he sells them the weapons he uh he gives it well he doesn't even sell it to him he just gives it to him some guy just that he hires just gives a bunch of people a bunch of swords and shit um and says hey go fuck him up and yeah i mean okay let's let let me get three things straight number one Uh uh-huh this is a pro riot podcast. Yes. Thumbs up. Yeah. No, no, number one. Number two. In many revolutions, there is a lot of shadow money running around. There are a lot of third parties funding things. This is very well known. Look at Momar Gaddafi's spending habits. That motherfucker was sending stinger missiles to basically anybody who asked for them. Yeah, pretty much. Including street gangs in LA. Um, but that is something that requires a lot of nuance to tackle and a lot of thought to be put into like what does that mean like it's uh, revolutions are very complex and the people who study them do a lot of work on 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 understanding that third point this game isn't about any of that this game isn't about talking about the sort of in influence of capital on these movements or like the 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 third the third party interest this is simply about a little mustache man wanting to get a huge gun to rule the world yeah so that's that's one of the core issues with this right like i think uh, arr wants to be a story about political intrigue arr proper 2.0 can't really succeed because it doesn't have enough time to dedicate to its premise. It has too much it has to tie up, it has too many loose threads of plot that it has to resolve. It cannot maintain any really meaningful commentary or any really meaningful narrative about politics or the war between nations. You know, it just ends up being a fairly flat experience but mostly the bones are there right we've talked about that before now the patches we have so much more time and energy that is able to be dedicated to tell these stories 
they have like five whole patches to do it, three of which they don't have to dedicate basically any time to setting up the expansion. They're allowed to actually try and build something here. The problem is, is that when they've been given this sandbox and the actual time and resources to tell this story, they have a very hard time telling it properly. They, they're... The priority choices are very strange, and I think that the the messaging in the end ends up being really, really clumsy. Like, taking things as a whole, it is much less dire than it immediately appears, so I am I I went I came into this patch knowing what was in it. I knew this was Ryacop Simulator. I came into it with as open as a mind as I could because knowing all of the stuff that we know now, having the 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 sort of more or less complete story of this part of the game, I wanted to see like what does this part of the game actually try to say and i think what it tries to say are a couple of things right it tries to say that the syndicate and it's like you know that that, that there is a a component of like third party like meddling in these sorts of situations quite a lot. It, it, it tries to talk about the interests of capital as it interacts with civil unrest and independence movements and things like that, right? It also wants to talk about the, like, very liberal mindset of trying to solve the world's problems through military force, right? And we'll get more into that when we talk about the Crystal Braves later. Um, and it also tries to talk about how the sort of violent nature of those sort of upstart movements can, in many ways, harm the people who are trying to participate in them. Now, these are all very, very, very complicated subjects. These are subjects rooted in hundreds and thousands of years of real-world experiences and, and genuine problems that exist to this day. And they mirror a lot of those real conflicts and issues. But... <laughs> <laughs> they they try they try but it just ooh it just do doesn't quite get there so on our personal friend group server we are currently watching the Star Wars sequel trilogy and i and i and i quite like the watching the force awakens but there's a, there's a there's a problem with rewatching the force awakens uh in a post-Rise of Skywalker world, right? Where you know that anything you like in those movies is just going to culminate in absolutely fucking nothing for anything ever. <laughs> and it's just going to be a hot pot, like just a huge pile of shit, and you're going to hate it. This is how I feel about this. If, if I did not know where this story goes, 
talking in the vaguest possible terms. If I did not know where this story goes, I I think I would not like the events of this patch, but also I would be like, well, let's see where they're headed. I know where they're headed. I hate it more. It's it is it has the elegance of a sledgehammer and it thinks that it is taking this this reasonable enlightened position because as I have so often said, the politics of this game ultimately often come out to be very optimistic neoliberalism, very reformist uh for the most part, you know, not necessarily a a a particularly uh hard hitting political storyline, which is why I think it was a very big mistake to make an expansion about uh two entire revolutions. I think that was a large misstep for them um the problem is that I think you can take that position on most other places in this game. You can take that position about Limsey. You can take that position about Gridani. You can take that position about other places we will visit in the future. Ulda is fucked. Like, legitimately, every time it comes up, someone will mention the horrific disparity between the rich and the poor. Every single time it comes up. Ulda's society doesn't work. Its culture is just a, the most toxic bootstrap shit you can imagine. It is it is the classic fucking every man is an island, everyone man's out for his fortune shit, right? Which doesn't necessarily nurture a giving spirit. Ulda needs to change. It has to change. Ulda requires like a major, major sociopolitical upheaval. It is literally untenable to live there for anybody, basically. And the thing about the thing the thing about these patches here, the thing about the seventh astral era quest line is that it does acknowledge that it, it it acknowledges that Ulda is completely untenable it cannot stay like this it is absolutely impossible to continue with things being as they are like the the thing that gets me the thing that gets me is that on second blush here on going through these quests on doing this portion of the game. And again, I we hesitate to talk at length about... It's difficult to talk about this. It's very difficult to talk about this outside of the spoiler zone because of the level of total disappointment that, that this part of the story has in it, like the total non-delivery. But like, going through this a second time, like... It does function like these like this. This is the groundwork being laid for 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 something. This is this is the Chekhov's gun on the wall that says, hey, this society is completely irredeemably broken and has to completely change on every functional level. The actual ruling class of this society needs to be thrown into the ditch and everybody knows it and that's like it could not be communicated more clearly than it is in this patch 
Like, they do a good job of that. I think that it's extremely ham-fisted. I think that it is perhaps a, like, almost like a, like, sophomoric in, in, or that's probably not the right word. Like, like, it's, it's, it's adolescent in how it's constructed. It's so, like, in your face and blunt about every point that it's making, and it's very, like, its construction is 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 somewhat weak, I think. But it is, but the foundation I think is there. I think this is like genuinely got the setup to at least attempt to pay off what it's trying to to talk about here. Like I think it it makes it, like it makes sense from the perspective of Alphano and the Scions to basically be duped into participating in this, like, uh, sociopolitical nightmare, right? It, it makes perfect sense to me that you have an organization of dreamers and really high-minded individuals, people who are functionally being led by a 14-year-old who graduated college early, and these people are going to just trust that, you know, the people in power, while maybe not always the best, do still have everyone's best interests at heart. That even if you avoid if you just avoid a couple of bad politicians, the system itself is still good enough on its own to try and and work with and, and find a good resolution in. The, this is this is the kind of organization of people that decides, hey, the solution to all our problems is to build a giant paramilitary organization uh, that it answers to literally nobody except, again, a 14-year-old. So, like, you know, these are the, like, and and I think that having it be a 14-year-old is a great idea from a narrative perspective, because it's such a childish attitude that so many people have about the way that you solve these political issues. And putting those beliefs in the shoes of an actual child does a really good job from like a, a, a narrative and, and symbolic perspective to hammer home just how stupid a lot of these concepts are. But again... And this is really the crux of it, and we'll talk at length about this when we get the opportunity to in like an hour and a half whenever we actually get to the spoiler zone, but all of this culminates in basically nothing, and it makes me angrier than I think I've ever been at this game. I was pissed off at this when I played it the first time. It almost made me drop the game entirely, and I'm now that I play it through a second time, knowing where this leads, it's it is me. My blood is boiling. Its worst crime is that it still managed to make me tear up because there's this scene at the end, right, with Nanamo and Raban. Yeah, exactly. I know where all of this leads. I know where the road goes. But the thing is, those two are so good. And her her frustration and despair at just being unable to do anything about this at all. Of just being this figurehead while the syndicate just fucking pilfers the pockets of Uldah and just runs rampant. It's very palpable. 
like it's it's very it's very it's very well rendered of just like the rage and sorrow she feels and it's it i don't know especially in japanese obviously um i don't remember if you did you remember to switch it back to english this time I I have been I've been good. I've been listening to all of it in in English. Um I will say that actually genuinely I'm not a f- I'm not a huge fan of Nanamo's like English voice actor here at ARR very much. I I just don't like the energy she brings most of the time. I will say though this scene, the the scene right at the uh, towards the end there where her and Raubon are discussing, you know, Alphano's plans for the Crystal Braves and whatnot. Um, and talking about the way the syndicate sort of runs roughshod around the city and Thanalan with impunity, like the delivery on her lines, I think is genuinely really strong. Like, I, I think that the emotion does actually come through, uh, really well. Like it's, it's one of the few scenes um, in this game so far, in, in the English, uh, dub of it, where I actually did feel like there was some emotion, uh, coming through the screen at me, uh, which is, which is rare for this point in the game, uh, again, now, you know, no, no offense, but the voice acting tends to, tends to lack in the dub in this part of the game quite heavily. She runs up and cries into his chest. Oh, my heart. I love those two. They're so good. They're so good. It just, yeah, like, I, I love, I love that scene a lot. I think that it really, it really speaks to, to a lot of how, you know, the, the problems in Ulda sort of, come together and sort of coalesce and i think that we we were originally going to save this uh towards the end of the podcast but i think this actually is a really good uh transitory period where we can just talk about the crystal braves some before we get on to the rest I wanna, of it i want to i want to talk i want to talk a little bit about telegi if uh only to say one thing yeah what's up he's a shitty boring villain um and he's his whole deal is just straight out of your fucking grandma's Facebook posts about Soros funding fucking Antifa or whatever. It is, it is. Like, I, I, oh God, it's so, it's one of those things, again, that pissed me off so bad the first time I played it because it, it is so fucking like Soros conspiracy nut bullshit, right? They're busting in Alamegan refugees to fucking burn down the ye old target. That's what it is. Yeah, like it, it is, and uh, I hate how it's just it weakens all of it. Like it weakens all of it is what it does because you have this like really strong foundation for a pol- for political intrigue. This really strong foundation for like the major class divide and class conflict brewing in Old Dawn stuff, and. It just undermines the whole thing by 
positioning this random guy who they keep saying oh is jealous of the of of the like the success of the true rich people like Lollarito and stuff like just jealous of all of their success and he's using that to become like this megalomaniacal villain who wants to take over the world with <laughs> a big a robot big, he wants a big robot to take what the fuck is wrong like it's just so look and it would even be fine if he if his organization was like tossing some money to these people on the side but it, his, the fact that it is just him robs the Al- like the alamegans of any of their fucking like oh my god my words they they ran away from me i'm trying to catch them and they're just falling through my fingers what do you what do you call it when there's someone who's active in their own story agency agency my brain works good anyway it robs the alamegans of their agency completely i'm just like yeah these fucking dumb idiots if i just they're get them real mad and put a sword in their hands they'll do whatever they'll fucking fuck whatever shit up i want sucks it sucks it sucks and i i think like even doing the like you know a big rich person is funding or like otherwise trying to stir up trouble in order to like advance their own personal interests like i don't know i think that that makes some amount of sense, but it's also just, like, the way that it's done just feels so fucking weird. Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's so... Like, okay, a great example is um in these quest lines, like, there's this merchant who's going around, and he's going from, like, camp to camp of these refugees from Alamigo, and he's trying to stir up shit and trying to, like put revolutionary ideas in their head and you just have all of these people who are suddenly jumping up at the opportunity to go help out this like rando merchant and like they're all just getting like fanatically like committed to like whatever this guy says and it's just it's it's not how that works like that's they're trying to ground like this story in the real they they're trying to make actual political commentary but they failed step one which is to actually mirror the conflicts that you're trying to talk about like in in real situations groups of rebellious people aren't just going to materialize out of thin air because somebody with money walked into their neighborhood and started flashing it and telling them uh you know reading off the first two paragraphs of the communist manifesto like you have to have a little more substance than that like people are going to have these ideas before you show up with mr money bags and also you can't ground something in the real when the guy behind it wants to get a giant robot yeah when the guy behind it wants to get a fucking like power rangers megazord to go punch all of the presidents to death like whatever let's let's talk about an equally dumb idea the crystal braves the crystal fucking braves good okay Alphano looks at all this. He he has seen the fucking darkness that the, uh, that lurks in the hearts of men at this point, right? And he's like, "Oh my god, the Scions are not in a position to like help what ills the 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 people of Eorzea. We just we just don't have enough re- we don't have enough resources." And so he starts to thinking. He's like, "I've got it. 
What if the army was really big? What if the army was really big and also answered to literally nobody? Yeah. Because after all, the real problem, and he's, he he even say, he says this basically, he's like, the real problem with Eorzea is all these governments keep thinking about, like, how they want things to be run, and the government is just not good enough they're slow and they take like every every decision takes too long and there's too much bureaucracy and too much corruption i know how to remove all corruption from all decision making i'm gonna make sure that every single decision runs directly through me i mean the antecedent menphilia not me i'm just honorary title definitely not me okay so obviously, this this is an anime ass story, right? In anime, all the time, teenagers are given outsized amounts of power and authority. This happens a lot. Uh huh. This is a bit much, even for this, because what happens is that Alphano goes around and he's he he is basically making a like a trial run version of this idea of a unified grand company he has that operates without borders and answers to no governments and is is a, is a party of its own, which is just, I don't think I have to tell you, listener, a colossally bad idea. Because as someone literally brings up in this patch when it's revealed that, hey, a lot of the funding you're getting for this is uh, from the syndicate? Why is that? And Alphano says, "Oh, well, you know, I checked. I checked all the donations to make sure they're all they're all on the level." But then it's like, okay, this whole thing hinges on like this will be a good thing because it has the Scions like ba- backing it and in charge of it, and they're good people. And so then you sort of think, and your thoughts go to, well, what if they weren't? What if? the Scions stopped being an organization or died or lost control of this organization. What happens then? You functionally have a private military company that answers to no uh, governing body. No. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Like You invented Blackwater. <laughs> you invented Blackwater. The, okay, the thing, again... When I played this game the first time, I was so pissed off at Alphano. I was like, you dumbest, you are the dumbest smart person who's ever lived. But again, looking at it from this sort of top-down perspective, I actually kind of love that Alphano is the person who does this because it is such a fucking stupid, sheltered, boy genius-ass solution to the problem where he's just like, well, all these presidents and representatives and elected officials are stupid. They they can't do anything right. They can't do anything like uh fast enough or like i mean they aren't listening to me and i'm like the smart one so why don't i just tell everybody what to do and i have a bunch of guys with guns to make them do it you know what it reminds me of there's that scene in star wars episode 2 attack of the clones right sorry i have got i've got star wars on the brain Uh uh-huh there's that bit where Anakin's talking to Padme, it's where it's where the funny meme image comes from, where he's talking to Padme about his ideas about politics, which are functionally, <laughs> what if, instead of having a Senate, one guy was in charge of everything, and he made, he decided what to do, but he was a really good guy, so it was fine, and, and Padme goes, well, Anakin, that's 
it's called a dictatorship and usually does don't go well um but <laughs> and he says well what if it didn't that's what alphano is doing yeah literally alphano is like what if a dictatorship was good actually what if we had like a military junta but it was good and like his his goals are like i want to i want to be able to like use these resources to help people solve the problems and like step in where the governments are too constrained by red tape to do anything and like as you said yes it is it is a perfectly like smart dumb guy who is a young idiot and has way too much power solution and i will say in an inverse of us talking about the old da stuff earlier on i look on this much more favorably because of future story developments with it. It's, that's the weird thing about playing a game like this where things can 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 like come back around in certain ways where it's like you look at it again and you go, well, within its context and isolated, yeah, this is pretty dumb, but I like how, what this adds to the story. But it is very... It, can we talk about the the illustrious founding members real quick? Can we Can we go down some of these guys? First of all, actually, first of all, I want to say this this quest where you go to recruit these guys, one of the worst, fucking most tedious quests in this whole game. <laughs> Why do they make it you sucks walk so around so much to get to like five dudes and four of them say no thank you? Yeah, it sucks so bad. It takes a huge amount of time to actually do these quests. It sucks. So at some point, Alphano is just like, listen, we need to gather up some some base membership so we can like actually found this new organization I'm planning. So you go to all three of the cities. You go to Limsa, you go to Redania, and you end in Ulda. And while he's talking to the presidents and getting their blessing for this project or whatever, you have to go talk to some randos. Now, some of them are randos, but for the most part, a lot of the people you talk to are people that you actually interacted with during Erar's proper story. Like, you end up recruiting uh, Riol, one of the guys from the Company of Heroes. Yeah. You end up yeah, recruiting... Let me say, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Him and um, Alion, the, the, the adventurer who was traveling with her grandfather, those two were good. Yeah, those two are great. You you recruit her um, from the lady from Copperbell. Uh, you end up recruiting um, now, Laurentius, now, the guy who betrayed now, the Wood Whalers. Now, hang on, hold now. Okay, you're starting a new uh, this unified grand company, this beautiful vision to create a, a, an unassailable moral armed force to like solve all the problems of the the country right why would you hire the dude who was thrown in jail for selling military secrets to the garleans so and tried to have you killed yeah so the thing with alphanel is that his plan hinges on the concept on the core idea that the that that this military junta that the the people at the top of the organization have to be pure of heart and singular of mind that as long as you have this central committee that is dedicated to the cause then you it doesn't matter who you hire it doesn't matter who's in the organization because they're all beholden to the will of a good man which is the dumbest imaginable fucking thing you could ever do. 
Yeah. Um, also, there's some guy named Ilbert who seems nice. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, you get all these guys together, and there's not much to say about, like, the, yeah, we, we have taught, we have, we have said basically what the, the founding of the Crystal Braves is. It's the central idea that Alphano has. He is, he is the commander of the Crystal Braves. Ilbert is the actual, like, field cap, and he's the guy who actually does anything, right? But Alphano is actually in charge and for some reason all of these all of these upstanding uh heroes and otherwise are just like yeah we'll follow the lead of a teenage 14 year old boy who dresses like that it's fine i'm sure it's fine uh there's there's a whole thing right uh they have uniforms uh i like the guy that he there's a guy Named Yu Yu Hase, who once again, once again, <laughs> you know, all of, all of these, all of these perfect heroes led by by people of of a sound minded body, who goes, man, uh, joining this the, joining this place is a great investment. I bet we'll make a lot of money off of merch sales. Yeah, no, he's like, oh, you know, they they kept telling me that this was a terrible idea, and there's no way that you can make money off an endeavor like this. But I believe that I can make so much money off of this. And you're just like. Great. Here's your um. Start. Here's your uniform. Um. You know, break break rooms in the back. <laughs> Once again, one of the guys you hired is a literal Carlian spy. It's it's fine. Remember, as long as the dictator is benevolent, the army will have to follow him. There's also that guy from Little Alamigo who like got got fucking trickeroos by some Assians and got all of his friends killed by the Amalgia. Yeah, but that's fine because, you know, he's grown up. He's not going to ever fall for somebody's <laughs> trick ever again. It's fine. Okay, yeah, so that, that's the Crystal Braves for now. They, they're they formed at the end of this patch. They have You have their big uh, thing, you know, yeah, rah, and all of this. Um, yeah, there's, okay, I do want to point out one thing. So Alphano gives a speech. Oh. Uh. As he as he gets the as he gets his his crystal braves all lined up and stuff, he gives a rousing speech to his new grand company. And I have to, I have to point out, it's very very important to point out that in this speech, like eighty percent of this speech is Alphano talking about how only they can solve the world's problems. He's like, oh, all the the nations of Eorzea have failed in their duty to protect the realm, and only we are left to preserve the freedom of all. And it's like, ooh, ooh, boy. Hey, hey, buddy. <laughs> Friends, pal, you're, um, you're going in a direction here. This will this can only lead to to good things. Um, so let, let's talk about the self stuff real quick. Despite being the big boss fight in this patch, Ramu is not a particularly like meaty part of the story. Um, so so basically, what well, you know, Minfilia says that even after defeating Good King Mogulmog, there's still a bunch of weird etheric disturbances in in the Twelveswood. Um, and so you are you are uh, you are sent out there to 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 talk to Kane Sena, and as it turns out, the Sylphs have summoned Ramu now. And I, this is a continuation of that thing I don't like about the Sylphs. Where it's like, ooh, they're the good ones. They're they're the good beast beastmen or whatever the fuck, right? 
um, where it's like Ramu, unlike all those other primals that just want to blow shit up, uh, he just wants to chill and hang out in the forest. And if anyone tries to fuck with his his boys, he will he will destroy them. But like you know, he's fine. It's like it, it's I have never I have never enjoyed these little fucking cabbage heads. I think they're they're like stronghold area looks pretty baller very purple uh very cool looking but man i I never really liked the sylphs but functionally like the connie senna wants to make sure that relations with the sylphs stay good and so she wants she wants to try and negotiate with ramu which is interesting you that word has never been involved in a confrontation with a primal before (laughs) No, it has not, and for good reason. The thing with the primals, and this has been explained uh, ad nauseum at this point, they anybody who walks up to a primal gets their brain irrevocably destroyed, and all of their thoughts are replaced with, damn, I love this guy, um, and I need to kill everyone who doesn't love this guy. Um, and also... They drain the life force out of the planet every second that they are that they exist. So negotiations are not typically on the table. But because of the way that the game has decided that it wants to view the sylphs, it is like, well, you know, like these guys are nice and they kind of just want to live in their little funny purple hideaway. And so it's not that bad if, like, a bunch of them are, like, permanently brainwashed forever and they just want to have, like, a god chill with them in the forest. Like, it's probably fine. You know, it's not like he bothers anybody. So I guess, like, go just ask him and see, like, if he wants to stay chill or not. And, like, if he wants to stay chill, we'll just leave him. Like, it's it's very, like, contradictory to everything and for really no end because it turns out that ramu does in fact want to blow up your whole scene because he basically holds all humans universally accountable for all other humans actions which in this case uh includes the garlean empire i just want to say one thing i don't like the self style i think they all look dumb as fuck little cabbage-headed idiots uh-huh ramu looks cool as fuck yeah, this this grandpa is ballin'. This is the most wizard you can possibly be. His beard is literally almost as big as his whole body. He's got a big fucking staff. He's shooting lightning bolts. He's passing judgment on the fucking on the souls of mankind. He rules. Um none I, I, I actually honestly putting all of my my dislike of, of the of the sylphs and the game's attitude towards them aside. I really love the conversation with Ramu. And speaking of, Ramu actually has a lot to say. And so I'll be going to the voice actor notes for Ramu. Yes, because something to note about this patch is that, um, you know how we didn't really get any voice acting for all of 2.1 and then 2.2 had like one scene in it? Well, they were saving... There was a lot of... uh... There was a lot of voice acting in 2.2. Oh, that's true. There's there's a pretty decent amount. But then, but it really pales in comparison, I think, to how much voice acting there is in 2.3. Like, almost everything in this this patch is voiced, and there is quite a lot of dialogue to get through. So, what 
is what is Ramu's uh, pair of pair of actors here? So in English, Ramu is voiced by Neil Kaplan, a uh, an old head at anime dubbing. He's been around for a really long time. Uh, the the roles that I picked out for to showcase his talents, he is Madara Uchiha from uh, Naruto. He is another another noted large beard haver, Captain Yamamoto from Bleach. And he is the dub voice for Colonel Vulcan from Promare. Oh my god, is he? That's awesome. He is. Uh, his Japanese voice, meanwhile, has a little bit less of a uh, a storied career, which is interesting because when I heard his his voice, I just thought, "Ooh, is this like one of the one of the classic old man anime voice actors I'm going to hear?" No, I looked him up. He doesn't actually have that many credits. Um, he voices Doctor Hell in Mazinger Z truly a, a name of all time uh ivan pasarov and mobile suit gundam 0083 those are the two like anime roles that i picked out the most because they were from like big mech shows the rest of them were, were things i never really heard of and he all he was also apparently the voice of a, like a fuck ton of super sentai monsters like that would like you know the the source material of power rangers yeah that's super tracks that's super tracks like I, because I went to his, you know, I was like, "Wow, this behind the voice actors page is kind of small." What happens if I go to his Wikipedia page? Oh, oh my God, the Tokusatsu section is so big. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Ramu, he has a lot to say here, right? Because so you, you know, yeah, we're gonna yada yada a lot of the stuff that gets you to Ramu because it's honestly not that important. I never want to talk about Kani Sena; she puts me to sleep. Um. There is one thing I wanted to bring up, though, with her Japanese voice acting that I caught this time around. Um, so when she's repeating the uh, the Sylph's, like, report on Ramu to you, in Japanese, she almost calls him Ramu-chan before, like, correcting herself and giving him the proper honor for someone who's not a Sylph talking about him. That's that's pretty funny. That's, that's cool, actually. I quite like that. Yeah, um... And all of the all of the other scions are accompanying you here, including Yurianje, who's like, "Yeah, can I watch you beat up this old man?" Yeah, for for research for research purposes only, of course. I just want to watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he is just like, yeah, he. he I like that he functionally sees mankind as a monolith because he's like a weird forest god. He has no context for that. Like he doesn't give a fuck about politics, really. So to him. The Garlean Empire stomping through the woods with their big fucking mech armor and these Uldan refugees fleeing into the forest as their last resort are like functionally the same thing. It's still a bunch of dudes being in a forest where they shouldn't be. Exactly. And uh, for his part, he's like, okay, I I don't give a shit about negotiating with you. I just kind of want to wipe all of you off the face of the earth so that my children can live uh, free and, and safe in the woods and you know you're like listen don't worry about it Hyland vouches for me and you pull out a crystal and he's like well yeah i guess you're probably less shitheaded than everyone else tell you what bud if you can kick the shit out of me in one-on-one combat then i will believe that you are capable of peace I'm always a sucker for stuff like that. Like, fight me to prove your worth. Fight me to prove you are a hero. Excellent stuff. Also, one other thing I wanted to note. When you're going through the Sylph lands, 
and you catch up to the scions there's a bit of dialogue where Papalimo mentions that yishtola ran into a like sylph shapeshifter who looked like you and then she cuts him off before anything else he can say anything else yeah i imagine she's a little embarrassed <laughs> it's very good so without further ado i just i'll actually have more things to talk about with ramu in the spoiler zone with a, a few certain things that i caught him talking about but um no uh we we will be we will be briefly talking about of course the level 50 trial the striking tree the following audio is being presented as is, exactly as it appears in the video game, with no adjustments to its volume level. Listening discretion is advised. There's a tree, and oh boy, is it getting struck by lightning. So, um, first of all, the 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 theme for this one, there's only one theme. There's no there's not two phases to this fight. It's called Thunder Rolls. It's a it's a pretty good song. I would not say that Thunder Rolls is a banger, but it's very atmospheric. Um, it's very fitting. It should be playing in like a blacklight poster room or something. Is how I feel. Yeah, it. <laughs> it's i'll tell you what that song has has staying power it sticks in your head and <laughs> the opening the opening is so goddamn loud i am okay now as a general rule when it comes to editing the audio of this podcast i try to make sure that all of the levels are very well put together and this is a very listenable experience you know no no big peaks or dips in volume i am going to leave the the opening of thunder rolls unedited in this podcast so my apologies to everyone who's had their eardrums blown out now that you're at this portion and it's it's a fairly straightforward trial with one exception so functionally there's a few main mechanics right it's a little bit more complex than leviathan which was baby shit as we discussed Uh uh-huh so first of all, there is an actual ad phase that you have to pay attention to, I believe, because um, at a certain point he spawns these these gr- arbiters of gray, and you got to kill them so he can take damage. And also, after you kill them, he does his raid wide, which is called Judgment Bolt, which I only mentioned because it sounds cool as fuck. Yes, there is, however, another mechanic that there, well, there's what there's one more. The one more I actually really like that I think is a really neat mechanic is. Uh, at certain points, he will target a few people to get uh, struck with the status effect terror, which basically just paralyzes you. 
at the same time, there are people with these tracking AoEs that will strike them with lightning. What you have to do as one of those players is run the AoE over to the person who is paralyzed with terror and damage them so that they can clear the effect. And I think that's a really cool mechanic. I've always, you know, there's a lot, there, there's more of that in the future, and I think this is a nice introduction to it. Now, there is a mysterious one that is not well explained. Yes, there's a mysterious, there's a mysterious third mechanic. A mysterious third mechanic that um nobody ever remembers how to do properly and i didn't remember how to do properly you get a tether um now in most cases when you get a tether between two two players the solution to the tether is to run to opposing sides of the arena to break the tether not so here that doesn't do anything and in fact if you don't actually know what's going on it's very easy to die to this uh to this mechanic which uh which i did twice because i forgot how it fucking worked so what this is it it is it is an attack called rolling thunder and what it does is it it chooses two people and attaches and inflicts them with the status effect causality which links them together with a big lightning bolt now if you do any action while this status effect is on you you will take damage and if you do a cast, you take damage over time. What you have to do to clear it is run into the lightning orbs surrounding the 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 like ring of the of the arena. One person has to run into three of these lightning orbs to get the surge protection buff and cancel the tether. Now, normally you don't want to run into things generally generally speaking there are exceptions they are usually more well more well telegraphed than this i will say it's funny there's a there's a certain fight later that mirrors a lot of these mechanics in some ways and one of them is indeed you have to run into orbs um but i feel like that's a little bit better telegraph anyway it um it's it's kind of a mess. It's not as it's it's not as much of a mess as old King Mogglemog used to be, though. That was that 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 was a total nightmare. Uh, this this fight just a complete disaster. This fight is, I think, generally fine. I think it's definitely way better than Leviathan by leaps and bounds. There's more to do in it. It is more coherent. It um is just kind of cooler. I think and overall is just sort of a middling fight it, it's nothing to write home about but i think it is a perfectly serviceable primal and uh you know generally speaking at six and a half out of ten uh, i like the lightning yeah, it looks cool i would like to airbrush ramu onto the side of my van um hell yeah so he 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 is defeated his soul orb talks to you for a little bit which doesn't usually happen um he basically says that you have proved that mankind has the capacity to overcome the darkness in their hearts, that you are strong enough to, like, break out of this cycle. I, I will not destroy your people this day. Um, and Kanisena just says, great, good job, but there's still an ill portent, right? Even after Ramu is gone, when when she's alone in her in her fucking house, she's still musing, like, something still isn't right here something is is still going on yeah she beseeches the tree spirits to tell her what's going on and there's like a rustling and 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 nothing happens perhaps 
in the tree language, uh, they were revealing something to her, but we will never know. So we've got we've got two more segments here, and this one leads pretty cleanly off of this one because you may wonder why was Yurianje here? Why didn't you show up to watch you beat up a wizard? Well, the answer is he was taking etheric readings because ever since Lahabrea's defeat and Elidibus's appearance, he has been thinking. Um, because, as we know, an Asian cannot be defeated by normal means. If you kill an Asian, they just their soul just reappears somewhere else and they can just come back whenever. Which, if you think about it, kind of similar to primals, right? Primals, you can defeat them, but if someone gathers enough crystals to summon them again, they can just be brought back. Um, and this, these readings from Ramu have crystallized a theory in his head, and he um, he has prepared a presentation for the Scions. Yes, he has prepared himself uh, a little a little TEDx talk here. And we're not jo- we're not like joking. We're not like ah, he's just talking. No, <laughs> to make okay, this is an extremely long cutscene of um, exposition, right? Of like world building exposition. Yes, it's all very important, and it's very important to know. But the way it is presented to make it a little bit more visually interesting is that Yuri Anjay and Menphilia go to the orb void where they have visual aids to help you see what they're talking about. Yes, and the, the okay, the, this is so interesting to me because you look at it, you look at this this area that they're in and I'm at, like I'm really certain, like I I'm pretty sure that these scenes are taking place in the same scenes as the character creation areas, right? Like I'm almost certain these are taking place in the same scenes because um uh, and this and this is this is fucking bizarre too. So so it, you're they're in this black void kind of and there's like blue sparkles around so, and and it's it's got that sort of like you know etheric void feel to it because it's also playing prelude the entire time um and then it uses so one of the or the orb representing the material realm is what i can only describe as a cube map um it's a cube map of the scene um the limsa scene in character creation it's that little field that you can put your guy in while you're looking at them and doing their hair and everything (laughs) my favorite bit is when the, they're they're explaining the cycle of death and rebirth, and they <laughs> just see a man fall over in the cube map, and then his soul goes all over to the 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 ethereal sea orb representation, and then it comes back and <laughs> floats into a woman's arms and turns into a baby. Yeah, that's the circle of life. <laughs> and once again, all of this is very important. They're they're explaining how what Aether is finally. Like, you know, we've heard a lot about Aether, but I think this is the first time we're really like, here is what it is and how it works. Here is how souls work functionally in the in this, right? Where Urian J explains the three the three types of souls. You got your your normal, your regular people, right? Where you die. Your aether gets gets subsumed into the flow, and then you are reborn as a new person. You know, like the cycle of death and rebirth. Yeah, pretty straightforward stuff. Primals, as they understand them, uh, have no physical bodies. They are literally just 
Aether made manifest in the world using huge quantities of it, right? And and the faith of summoning. So when they die, one, they don't leave behind a corpse because there's no real physical thing to, to leave behind. It's all just magic, pretty much. Um, and two, their souls are not subsumed and washed through the stream. They just kind of float there above the sea until they are resummoned by someone else. Exactly. But there's a third kind. There's a special secret uh, option C here, and that's the Immortals, as they're called. Assians. So the way that Yurianje has figured out it works is that when you when you destroy an Assian's physical body, uh, they do not they do not go to the ethereal sea. They instead go to somewhere in between. They go to like the world between worlds, the the void between life and death, right? Uh, and additionally, if they hope to physically manifest here, they have to have a tether, a crystal of darkness tethering their soul to the physical plane. Um, so he concludes that like the way you kill an Asian is to trap their soul before it escapes into the world between worlds, into the void. And you do this using a structure similar to it, like similar to a crystal of darkness that will like anchor them into that structure instead of keeping them on the other side. Exactly. They they want to figure out a way to catch that that waylaid Asian soul and and keep it in one place long enough to shatter it and actually scatter that ether back uh, into the flow. And now that they have this working theory of Asian rebirth, well, now they just have to figure out a way to actually do this special containment. I just want to I just want to shout out one more thing. The funniest part of this whole scene mm-hmm. is when Thancred just wanders in from off screen into the PowerPoint void. <laughs> yeah, he just sort of wanders over there because when Philly is talking about, oh, this is the crystals of darkness, just like the kind that we used was used on Thancred. And Thancred wanders in like, hey, I thought we said we weren't going to talk about that anymore. <laughs> he, he literally just wanders on stage and just like in the void. It's like, where, what, what is the, what is the space being depicted here? What is happening? Everyone's just, everybody is imagining this. This is like, this is special imagination time. Which means he just walked up to Vinfilia and said that from like where he was standing, which is, it's, it's very funny. So yeah, I mean, all of the, look. All of this is really important stuff, but it's not exactly the most thrilling thing to talk about on a podcast. But you know what is Ishgard? Well, Ish, Ish. Well, before before we get to Ishgard, there's there's some other important stuff that's going on here because there's some Organization Thirteen shit that takes place immediately after this conversation. Oh right, you get. I always forget about that because, funnily enough, none of this fucking matters. Yeah, n- none of this matters. But... Yeah. You, you get to see the Asians Organization 13 chamber where they have all of these big pedestals they're standing on and a fucking gigantic statue of their god in the background. Um, we hear, you know, they're, they're talking about Ramu's defeat and stuff. They're, it's the usual Asian stuff like, ah, they have beat, they have defeated this one, but the cycle will continue and a new primal will arise. You know, you know what they're about. Yes, yeah, so there's a couple, there's a couple of points that I do want to point out here, though. So, first and foremost, in these conversations that are back-to-back, Menphilia and Elidibus both 
uh, talk about all of the things that you've killed. But the very, very funny thing is that Elidibus very specifically leaves out King Mogomong from his list. Philia <laughs> mentions King Mogomong. Elidibus does not. He doesn't want to talk about that fucking stuffed animal. That one was embarrassing. I, not our <laughs> finest work. We, we should never talk to the Mughals again, frankly. <laughs> Literally. Then there, there's, there's two additional lines, though, that I think are interesting. And that will come up later. Um, uh, Elidibus says, Seven times have the masses survived the rejoining. And Lahabrea sort of responds uh, shortly afterwards with, That which was shattered shall be made anew, and the one true god shall come again. Which I think are two very interesting lines. Is that the first mention of rejoining uh, i believe it is i think that is actually the very first time that's used he said something like that earlier when he first appeared but i think rejoining this is the first proper usage of that term what does that mean well who could say yeah don't worry about it <laughs> but also i just want to say there's a lot of fucking no-name Asians in this oh yeah and i am counting nabrealis among them but is it is is there is there a guy named is there a guy named Ultima? Like Nissan Ultima? Oh, yes, there totally is. There's like there's like a list of all of the like names and titles that the Asians like should have. Um because it's it's based off of something that I can't remember anymore, but like all of the Asian like seats or whatever like we know what names they should have even the ones that we haven't like really uh like seen much of and ultima is one of them which is really funny yeah right here alt we have two dialogue boxes from like two guys that i don't know about and never appear again ultima and imaroloth imaroloth yeah fucking elder god ass name yeah maybe someday they'll be relevant maybe probably not who knows the dark lord camry <laughs> has something to say <laughs> so before before we before we end on ishgard I, we, there's someone very important we need to talk about there is an extremely important individual his name is hori boulder oh god hori boulder yeah so while a bunch of shit's going on, it was like, you know, Minfili and Alphano, they're like, well, we gotta do some, like, sh paper shuffling, we gotta talk to some peeps about these Crystal Brave nonsense things. While we're doing that, why don't you just go see how everybody else is doing? And... One of the one of the kids, Yozan from the the Domin Adventurers the, the guild, they uh, this little guy he wants to learn how to fight like the big and strong hero, um, and Hori Boulder he says, "Oh, I know how to teach these kids uh, how you fight. Why don't you fight me?" So we we have seen you have seen Hori Boulder and Colton A in the background of the Rising Stones at this point. Uh, a few times if you've been looking around which i must i must encourage everyone to always talk to everybody when when uh, like a after a big event and the rising stones has like a different um a different guy or like different sort of 
guy guy roster in it right yeah always do the incidental dialogue it's always good it's like there's a lot of jokes that you'll miss if you don't do it so definitely talk to like you know the scions and stuff whenever they're like around milling about hori boulder and coltonay are both uh new new scions you know the the scions have been replacing a lot of the a lot of the smaller scale guys who were all shot to death by livia sass junius um and these guys are the start of that and you got hori boulder he's a he's a he's a paladin and he's a he's a big rogadin boy he's real rowdy and you have his completely heterosexual life partner <laughs> colton <laughs> His his completely completely straight relationship, uh, where they n- are never separated and always help each other and like and they sleep in the uh, sleep in a big bed with each other and <laughs> yeah. By the way, his title is Coltone the Cultured, which is very funny. What does that mean? I mean, he seems he seems like a cultured guy. You like, does that mean he likes anime? I you know what? I'm deciding that's true. So, but yeah, basically, you know, the the Dome Adventurer Guild wants to like they want to they want to you know they want to learn how to be a cool adventurer, and so they yeah, they want to see a sparring match between you and Mister Boulder. And in fact, it's not just the kids. At a certain point, Thancred and Ida tell everybody in in Revenant's Tola, hey. The Warrior of Light is gonna is gonna is gonna have a little sparring match with this guy. Everyone should come watch. And everybody's like, "Oh shit! I gotta, I gotta, I'm getting the popcorn. I'm getting my foldy chair. We're heading out to the to the fields to watch this." And of course, you you whip his ass, uh, especially if you're me and you're playing Summoner, which <laughs> just has insane burst damage. <laughs> Yeah, though I will say he lasts longer than you would expect him to. Like between not Col- me, like, not for me. <laughs> like like Colton A pops in, he's like, "Ah, oh, I got you. I'm gonna help you out." Uh, and then and he pops his fucking involve at the end there. Like he tries his best. He tries his best, but you know he's he's not really. It's not really a, an even match here. No, I mean, look, I can summon the I can summon the spirits of primals and have them blow you up. It's not. It's not the the. The combat prowesses are are just of a different scale, but you know it's 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 just a friendly bout, and it, it kind of it raises everybody's spirits to see the the warrior of light in action. But you know what? Those kids and the people of Revenant still they still love Hori Boulder. He lost, but he put up a good fight, and they respect him. They do, they do. They believed in him, and you know he didn't quite make it, but they 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 love him anyway. And he's like, you know, they're all patting him on the back and like wow you did so good you like you really held your own and stuff like that and it's it's really cute um and then alphano sort of walks up and he he's like wow you know i i i you know i used to hate all these fucking people (laughs) i used (laughs) to fucking think all these people were pieces of shit you know what now i kind of like them i I was always wondering why my grandpa died for this fucking shithole country but now I like them. You know, it's a nice sentiment of like, yeah, I realize that, you know, he wasn't he wasn't fighting for the, the nations or the fucking castles or whatever, right? He was he was fighting for the people. The people are Eorzea. It's like it's like a nice it's a nice realization to have, but he could have delivered it different. Yeah, like he's like, listen, these people piss me the fuck off all the time and they're stupid and they fight all the time and they smell. But you know what? And they're really growing on me, and it's just like, oh, okay. 
Yeah, get back to doing the paperwork <laughs> for your private army, kid. Um, <laughs> it's it's so funny. Like again, like Alfano is so good at just playing this very specific role of like this shitty, stupid boy genius who like doesn't know it. Like he comes in to this whole affair as like the most snotty, stuck up rich boy you've ever seen. And he's slowly becoming less of a giant pain in the ass, but like he's still the same snotty fucking rich boy. Like in his core, he's still that kid. So like, even, even when he's trying to like, you know, give this like beautiful speech you know waxing poetic about how he's grown to love Aorzia just as grandpa did it's laced with like these undertones of like high society snobbery about shit like i i really like it it's it's hilarious so this leads us pretty neatly into the next incident which is you know a, a caravan gets robbed on its way to reverend's toll which isn't in and of itself unusual right like it's it's a rough part of the country there's monsters there's bandits there's the empire but it's the people who robbed it who are interesting right it is uh it is it is the heretics of ishgard who apparently attacked this caravan which was sent by house for toms uh apparently they have like a thing with uh camp dragonhead has a has a has a deal with with revenant's toll i believe yes and they they they're they're trading supplies back and forth and you know but unfortunately this 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 shipment has uh has has been waylaid here and you know Slafbjorn's got his hands kind of full so he's like hey listen can you fi- can you go see what's up with this like can you resolve this for me like it's really out of the way and like you already know Horchafont like you know it's probably it's fine, like, you you can just hit him up, like, you know that guy, so... And I, I just want to talk through this segment real quick, because functionally, all this is, is, ooh, sequel bait for, for the next couple of patches in Heavensward, because all you learn, really, is there's this, there is this person named Lady Iceheart, who is, like, chart like has, has reinvigorated her, heretical activities uh, around Quarithus, right? And they're getting more bold, and they're getting more powerful, and they have, they they keep disappearing behind this huge mountain of ice called Snowcloak, and we don't know where they go. That's really all you learn. But there's one thing, there's one thing about this segment that I really wanted to talk about. So, obviously, localization is always going to be a different, like, it's, it's always, a, 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 it's not just... Let's translate all of this one-to-one, because that sucks. That's not how you do it. You can't do it. You literally can't do it. Um, and, you know, we've spoken about this game's localization, right? But, in this segment, you get a look at one of the most drastic writing changes for a character uh, they ever did. Yes. Because this is the kind of the first time you're interacting a lot with Hartrafont. Um, outside of the outside of the ARR Coerthus stuff, where where he he isn't really his personality doesn't really shine through, just like most ARR NPCs. Um, if you have Japanese voice acting on, it becomes very apparent that 
the things he is saying in the original language and the things that are written on the subtitles are very different. And there is a so in 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 the in in the game that you we are playing, the English version of Final Fantasy XIV, Harshafun is characterized as a very is is pretty much a very enthusiastic fanboy, right? Just like he loves, he 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 thinks you're the greatest. He loves hearing about your heroic exploits, and he thinks you can do anything. However, however, <laughs> you may notice that he is very enthusiastic in some of these cutscenes, and the way he's moving is very strange for those words, right? Yes, that is because in the Japanese version, this admiration was kicked up by several degrees. And he, there's no other way to say it. He was real fucking horny for the Warrior of Light. Unbelievably horny for the Warrior of Light. Like, it is on a different level, and it isn't exactly... The atmosphere isn't um, made any less so by the fact that whenever the camera is in a cutscene in this boy's office, <laughs> it likes to linger on, let's say... There, there. He just has a team of shirtless dudes who are always doing squats in the corner, um, just forever. He just pays them to do that, um, right? And you know, he just like listen. Sometimes you know, sometimes you just want a little eye candy while you work. I guess you know, it's it's understandable. <laughs> yeah, I think there are a lot of a lot of. You know, this is one of the most famous differences between between the two versions, right? Most of the time, the differences are not so pronounced. There's some, but mostly it's stylistic. But this this is entire personality change, and I think there are a lot of people who say that ah, oh, I wish I wish they'd kept how horny he was in the English version. It's like I don't think you do. I don't know if you do wish that. Um, I know I know you're horny for Harshafant, but imagine like. I mean, it's it's really funny because you, you you look at you know your character's reactions are are not in line with the dialogue that you are reading and that he is saying in the English version, right? Of the of the just like wide eyed like what is this dude talking about? Yeah, he's not saying anything outrageous really. He's just like, wow, you're so cool. You could do anything. I bet you can beat Lady Iceheart no problem. And it's it's it shows the player character being super taken aback. It's like, well that doesn't seem right and he's like going in harsh fonts like gesticulating wildly and like going a little crazy when he's saying this it's just it's very funny mostly but it's 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 an interesting case of like this you can see the seams of the localization right there you can you can you can you can see the the the, the walls of the stage here and it is it's one of the interesting differences and we're gonna see more we're gonna see more of those differences here uh fairly shortly i feel like this this area of the game i think probably has the most drastic departures in terms of localization changes um because there's there's horchafont's characterization and then there's another thing that's coming up in the vaguely near future uh a dungeon that has Maybe I think the most infamous and drastic localization changes that were that were ever made in this game. Um, but of course we'll have to we'll have to talk about that when we get there. 
for now, there there's one other sort of major plot revelation that takes place during this sort of teaser segment leading into uh, into the next uh, patch here, and that's we get a brief glimpse of the Pope. Uh, we, we see Archbishop What's-His-Name. Uh, he's chilling in his big chair with his big scepter and his big beard. Um, a little Ramu-like in that way, though, of course, this guy's way less cool. And the most important thing to note is that over his, over his shoulder are a, a little angel and a little devil that we know uh, very well as Elidibus and Lahabrea. Uh, and they're invisible to everyone else, but uh, but the Pope knows they're there. Things are not well in Ishgard. Oh, no, they're not. So that'll, that'll be it for patch 2.3, Defenders of Eorzea. Kind of a disaster, ultimately. Um, but I guess they can't all be winners. Trial was nice, at least. That's, that's different from the last time. Yeah, Trial was nice. You know, uh, I, I think that it's... Uh god, it sucks how how much promise there is in this patch, and then so much of it just gets sort of tossed in the garbage. But we'll talk more about that once we uh once we breach containment here. But uh but first we have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Nero, why don't you tell these fine people about where they can find our Patreon? Well, the first of all, I just want to say I just want to uh say something about our scheduling. So, of course, normally our next episode would be about Patch 2.4. But the thing is, there's a piece of content that is very, very, very story important um, that has no real good place to put it in our format. But the last two patches of post-ARR are very contiguous with their story. They're, they're, they're a pretty straight through line. So next week, we will not be talking about uh, the, the MSQ of Patch 2.4. We're going to be talking about the Crystal Tower next week. That's right. Next week, we're hitting all three segments of the Crystal Tower. We're going to go through that entire storyline. We're finally going to talk to that weirdo who keeps standing outside the seventh heaven and glaring at you every time you walk in. We're going to talk to that guy. We're going to learn what his deal is. We're going to learn what the deal with a big crystal in the ground is. And it's going to definitely not have gigantic ramifications over every single patch that happens after it for the rest of time. No, this is uh, like there's no reason that it's the only Alliance raid series that's marked as as like required story content. There's no reason <laughs> for that. Anyway, of course you can find our Patreon over at Patreon.com/slash/CrystalRadioWorks, uh, and we have plenty of perks starting at the one dollar tier, the Heart Survivor tier. Uh, you get you get two things. First of all, you get access to our entire back catalog. Of previous Patreon content, that is, Owlcasts, Keepocasts, the first season of Infinity Train, Infinity Train with the Infinicasts, other assorted Shira content, and additionally, you get to vote on the subject for our monthly animation podcast, Talk Cycles. The polls for those go up the day after that month's episode releases, and you have two weeks to decide where we go next on our freewheeling journey through through Western animation. That's right. And next week, when we do that talk cycles, the thing everyone voted for is a continuation of Infinity Train. We're going to book three, so I'm excited about that. That's right. 
And what what is what what can people find at the next tier of Patreon? All right, at three dollars, you've got our Warriors of Crystal. Now, Warriors of Crystal, you get all the previous, but you also get access to any polls that we do based on content for Final Fantasy fourteen. And what content am I talking about here? Well, I'm talking about side content. I'm talking about gatherers and crafters. I'm talking about side dungeons. I'm talking about anything that wouldn't really be in the main purview of the actual show and because all of that is going to be contained on the patreon when we cover it uh the first thing we're going to be doing of course is covering uh basically all of error side dungeons so keep an eye out for that that's coming up in the not so distant future um and then uh at the uh at the eight dollar mark You've got yourself the uh, the trusted companions, and the special thing about them is that uh, we're going to be hosting party finders and raid nights and other sort of ser- server events on our Discord, where we're going to have you guys come in and uh, we'll play with you and 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 do all that sort of thing, um, which is pretty cool. And of course, the other thing you get if you do- donate at the three or one dollar or three or eight dollar tier. You get your name read at the end of all of these episodes. That's right. So why don't you hit us with that beautiful list of all our lovely patrons? Thank you to our trusted companions and warriors of crystal. Argyle Funk, Dan Big Challenges Silva, Becky Scott Fairley, Verdigree, Rockadot, Mia Berg, Tobu, Amates Gurgis, Sid Vesper, Enrique Robledo Aruncio, Trisha Montez, Imogen Q, Aurora Borealis, Sir Sheepsalot, I, Beauregard, Kaylee Luisa, Garrett Johnson, Emma Lynn, Autumn Keys, Kaylee Moreland, Yusuf Gurch, Ashley, Mabel Mabel, Jennifer Jones, Jack O'Neuro, Michael Steinert, and TCO. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you all for your continued support. It means the world to us. And, uh, and I just want to say also, like, just from me, like, huge shout outs and thank you to like the 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 several people who we have been shouting out for like the past three years who have like stayed on that whole time. Like, thank you guys, especially you've been huge, huge support. Shout outs to you. Um, And I don't even remember if we're on iTunes and such yet. But if we are, if that's processes at all automated. Leave us a review and tell your friends. After all, the the only thing better than gaming the algorithm is is taking the the, the action into your own human hands. It's true. It's true. But, uh, but that's going to do it for us here on this side of the spo- spoiler zone. So if uh, you're heading out, then we will see you next time. But if you want to talk about spoilers, we'll see you on the other side.
So here's here's my thing. Uh-huh. I don't want to uh-huh. talk about all of Voldar yet. Yeah, no, we, we can't talk about all of Voldar yet because Jesus Christ. It's a disaster. It's a complete nightmare. It's not even a disaster in that it concludes in a bad way. It simply doesn't conclude. It simply stops. It just doesn't conclude. They just, they take the story and they put it on the shelf and they say, we'll deal with it later. And they and they just, just forget about it. Just gathering dust forever. You start here with the, sen- like, members of the syndicate are, are fucking puppeteering the the poor and desperate for their own personal gain and everyone hates them and people are you know mistrustful of the crystal braves because they're using syndicate money and jump forward to fucking four print one and it's like well lola rito is a really good businessman and probably has a lot of good advice for you nanamo what literally like, like they just they just decide like at a certain point and and this of course we're gonna get into once that's like the middle of heavens where we get the really really stupid bit where we just decide lalarito's fine even though he's like one of the villains on the fucking trailer like oh uh, god they they just i don't know what happened i really don't because the setup and i i was talking about this in the episode proper the setup here isn't even bad. Like, I, I like this setup. Like, on second blush, like, yes, it's fucking clumsy, and I think that all of the George Soros bullshit is, like, extremely, extremely, like, bad to do. Like, just, I think that's a really huge misstep, and you shouldn't have done it. But the basic bones, I don't even think are bad. What sucks is that there's no resolution of any kind. You set up this whole thing where the very foundations of society have to be redone because, like, even the person who's nominally in charge of everything, the fucking sultan of the goddamn country can't do anything, like... You have to do something to change that. And then the game just decides, eh. Yeah, but what if you didn't? Nanamo gets uh, attempt, try, almost gets assassinated because she is going to abolish the office of the Sultanate and restructure Uldah's government. And instead of thinking, I almost got assassinated, that means people, uh, you know, people in power don't want me to do this, I should move forward with it. They just kind of spin their wheels for two expansions and then they get forgotten about well obviously if somebody kills you for trying to do something that changes society that just means you were wrong you should just not you should just stop because when people try and assassinate you that usually means that you know you were doing the wrong thing you know you should you should go and just just do what they're saying that you should do and you know then everything's fine it's also crazy to me that to legend gets cut in half hamburger style by rabon in the middle of a huge fucking party and somehow this information is contained. So, but listen, everybody was just like, I'm gonna mind my own business. I'm gonna sit here at the snack table. I'm gonna get me my like my little my little fancy All meatballs. Of the presidents watched him cut that dude in half. They all saw it. And I mean, obviously, like, I don't care that he gets cut in half hamburger style. That that's good, in fact. But like the stakes aren't there if that happens and then it's just like oh it's fine actually yeah they just sort of you know it's so it's it's insane like it's just not coherent like it's just not coherent it just the story fucking falls into a hole and it just doesn't climb out there's just they put up a little detour sign like i just go around it's 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 crazy like 
the the shit in Heaven's Word where it's just like in the middle of Heaven's Word, right as everything is like getting the highest stakes possible, you're about to invade Nidhogg's personal chambers, and then you get a call on the cell phone. It's like, hey, can you talk to like Lala Rita real quick? And also this lady dressed like a gnome. Just like five minutes. Uh, I hate Dulala so much, stupid fucking gnome hat. Um so I mean, yeah, I mean they th- they want you to think that Lolorito is fucking Lord Vetinari, but he's not. One, he doesn't have any swag. Zero swag. He's got negative swag. Two, his plans. He the, literally his plan was just piggybacking off of another guy's plan. It wasn't even a plan. He was just like, well, Teleji was had like you know, I guess that was like kind of a good idea to try and like take control of like the whole country and shit. I guess like I could do that. Like that seems kind of good. Then he's like, ah, too much trouble. I'll just continue being a brutal capitalist nightmare. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It. It. it, it they just give up on it after a certain point. I don't. I don't know if they think that. Olda is done after 4.1. I don't think that if any sensible person should believe that if they do. But uh, for whatever reason, they've just never gone back to it i think it's just like an issue of like logistically speaking the groundwork you have to lay down to actually do because like the game has gone so far out of its way post like like during and after heaven's word the game has put in an enormous amount of time to basically undoing all of the political stuff that takes place in the seventh astral era quests like the game goes so far out of its way to basically say that everything from 2.1 to like 2.5 doesn't matter. Stop thinking about it. None of it happened. It was all a dream kind of shit, right? Like the game is just like, don't worry about this shit anymore. It's unimportant. And like to go back on that, to, to, to basically take like all the story after that and be like, well, actually it turns out that um all of this shit sucks super bad and you know maybe nanamo was right like 20 years ago when she said that old ash should be a republic like to do that would require laying down such a huge amount of foundation that i just don't think from their perspective it's worth it if they want to tell basically any other story and also the unfortunate thing is that Lalarito also is like kind of a plot MacGuffin in a lot of ways. Like, if the Scions need a bunch of money really quickly, then they're kind of the only game in town. Um, and you know, I think that you could write your way out of that hole, but it's just another one of the things that sort of piled up on this huge weight on on the button of just keep staying the course, right? Like, it, it contributes to the attitude, I think, that they have that is just like, well, it, we already moved past this, let's stop thinking about it. Uh, which sucks, by the way. They did have to make an entire expansion to get Ishgard into being a republic, so or a parliamentary republic, um, as opposed to a absolute theocracy. I guess that's fucked. Why did that? How does that? How did that happen for so long? Anyway, uh, yeah. One thing I want I wanted to talk about some South Ramu because he has some he has some inter- just some a couple of interesting lines that I that I picked out. 
specifically this one is you know he's, he's talking about the darkness in, in men's hearts and how it's unavoidable and he says uh whence sprung this calamitous seed in the beginning no such duality existed were dark and light given form when man was born it would explain much not least why strife and sorrow follow in your wake you cannot deny the circumstances of your birth he's, he's talking about zodiac and Heidelin. He's talking about the sundering yeah which i think is very interesting i i think it's i think it's pretty cool that he's sort of referencing it obliquely here yeah i mean i i don't know if they they probably knew roughly the deal with that was right at this point i mean we're talking about the rejoining in this in this patch yeah i mean there's they're literally talking about the rejoining and how it's happened seven times and they're laying the groundwork for people to be like hey wait there was also seven calamities etc etc so like the the groundwork for you know end walker and shadowbringers is being laid here darkness and light becoming embodied is literally was literally at the dawn of humanity as it is now right at the sundering zodiac was created and then heidelin was created except now the interesting thing about that view right zodiac and heidelin are dead yeah they're gone now they're gone and they're never coming back which what the the what that into the 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 interesting thing i've always liked about that is that like not only is this is this huge battle of gods done with but also that sort of strict binarism and duality is kind of gone right like it's we're getting stuff about the void and how the void isn't just a fucking hole full of demons it's got a lot of stuff going on and it has actual people living in there and, and actual things attached to it right and i think it's a, it's an interesting indication of like you know we're, we're we are moving away from that of, of the of the light versus dark because now both are gone and what we're left with is forging our own designs right exactly exactly and i think that like i, I really do like that about how final fantasy 14 sort of subverts a lot of those like classic tropes or whatever about light versus darkness i i think that it's 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 a really neat like it, it's not exactly what i would call a unique like line of narrative but it's a line of narrative that i think uh works really well and uh i think ultimately ends up being just a very interesting path to follow and there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about. Just one more. Uh-huh. Uh, during, during the PowerPoint. Because most of that is all correct, from what I remember. All, all of that is pretty much correct. Yes. Uh, but I believe Yuri Anjay theorizes that a, a dead, like, if you actually destroy an Asian soul, they do not return to the life stream. However. However. We know that that's not true. Yes, we know now that even if an Asian soul is utterly destroyed, the ether that made it up still does return to the life stream. I get you know, I guess the the two that we know of that went to the life stream of, of the actual Asians, not counting Hithlodeus, they weren't killed using white orosite, were they? No, that's true, they weren't. Emmett Selk was killed. I mean, I think there was white oversight involved in that, but mostly it was the it was the it was the the huge blade of light that killed him, right? Yes. And his soul wasn't actually trapped in the white oversight. Then there is Fandaniel, who bonded his soul with Zodiac, so that when Zodiac died, his soul also went to the Ethereal Sea. So the ones that are all unaccounted for 
all were killed with other means. They were they were either trapped like Elidibus is, or they were destroyed using white orosite like Nabrialis, and I think Igiorium? Yeah, Igiorium got trapped in the white orosite because Lahabrea gets killed by the Pope. This is true. This is true. Which is which that's really backwards, I think. You you wanna let the Pope kill the jobber, not the important guy. Yeah, I still think that was that was that was kinda lame. But yeah, like a lot of the Asians are still being reborn, right? Like a lot of them are still like going into into their into their new uh into their new forms here. And you get a lot of like talk about that uh in Eden with um with those guys and you get a lot of talk about that with um oh god where's the other place where that comes up a lot uh i mean pandemonium but that's pre-sundering obviously um yeah there is another place i think there's a pastorat is in the binding coils i believe yes yeah there is some there's some stuff in the summer the the stormblood summoner quest line and then there's there's one more somewhere, but I, there, there's so many. Yeah, listen, there's a lot of game. There's a lot of game, but they um they do they talk about this quite extensively in a lot of areas, and you know I I do I find that very interesting where it's like the the sort of Asian role of death and rebirth is like one additional additional step here because the Asians would always like step in and like awaken these these shards or like uh whatnot uh, of the Asian uh that that they that they are a part of um and sort of bring them up to speed and stuff like they did with Amon and uh like they did with uh with a lot of the the lesser Asians. so which which I think is very interesting and you know it, it leads me to wonder about sort of the situation with uh Vina and the situation with Hithlidaeus and Emmet Selk, who all themselves returned to uh to Atheris. They returned to the life stream. That's not true. That's not true. Hithlidaeus and Emmet Selk return to the life stream. Vina does not. Vina expends all of her life force to to uh to fight you. That's right, that's right. And she uses whatever's left to to hypercharge the the stone of Azam. Like there there's a whole thing, right? There's the there's a whole thing there. When that when people got to that point, I remember a lot of people saying that it sucks that Vina just dies, but well, you know, there's a in, in a lot of these these belief systems that talk about the cycle of death and rebirth. I mean it, the point of samsara is to break it. You, you reaching enlightenment is to stop the cycle of of reincarnation. Her dying is meant to is meant to symbolize like her. She has fulfilled her purpose. She has done what she wanted to, which is the thing she was resisting on Atheris in the unsundered world. She's you know she was one of the people who when she stepped out of office was like actually. I will not return to the planet. I still feel as though I have more work to do. Exactly. And I think I think like from her perspective, I think I think it is kind of poetic that she ends up not rejoining the live stream in that way. I think that that does fit for her character even if it is 
genuinely very sad that uh that she ends up you know dying because she ends up being honestly one of my favorite characters in Endwalker. I think I think Fana is like genuinely a really well written, uh, well written character. I'm also not entirely sure what happened to Hermes and Asahi. Uh, they fell in a big hole. I don't know what that means. Well, I mean, Asahi basically takes one look at him. He's like, "Listen, bitch, I'm taking you to double hell," and drags him into a hole. So I'm not entirely sure what that entails um but i can't imagine that it's fun no i but it's the all all this all of the dialogue suggests that it's not like you know the you 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 have the option of saying you know we'll find out we'll find the answer together next time or whatever i don't think that they have exited the live stream i think that they just I, I don't know. That that is a very unclear bit of that. I, I feel like it must be that that's them like basically dissolving entirely because we know that when a soul goes back into the etheric sea, um, it doesn't immediately dissolve, right? Like it begins getting like eroded and eaten at and unraveled, but depending on the strength of the soul itself, depending on how much ether that there is in your little cloud orb you know it, it can take a long time for that to break down so i imagine probably what was involved there was asahi and amon basically like speeding that process along and sort of just d- unraveling themselves entirely yeah that makes sense that makes sense because they, they, they didn't have the finality of, of Vinaz and but yeah i think that is i believe all i wanted to talk about here was there anything else you wanted to bring up uh not particularly though i will say that i do think it is very funny that the i I do always think it's very funny that the setup for heaven's word is so sinister in terms of like you know all the assians have been running ishgard this whole time and then like when you finally get the revelation in the end it's like well they contributed, but mostly this Pope guy is just a huge piece of shit. Yeah, he's he's simply insane without them. He, they didn't even have to do much. Yeah, they just kind of taught him, hey, here's how you, like, turn yourself into the Giga Pope, you know? So, with that, we will, we will, we will oh boy, the Crystal, the Crystal Tower, that's gonna be an episode. That's gonna be an episode and a half. I can't wait to talk about the beautiful visual parallel between She-Ra and Final Fantasy XIV. Finally, the two halves of our internet uh, personas will meet, and they meet when Nero Tolskava turns into the fucking Grimace from McDonald's. He becomes purple. <laughs> uh, and of course, we get to talk about my boy, my beloved little Meow Meow, literally, Grahatia. Of course. I honestly can't wait to see how he, like, comes across in the original appearance, right? Like, I, I want to know what he was like. I've forgotten what he was like originally, right? Like, I, I just I just think about the Exarch and, and stuff moving forward from that. But, like, I, I want to see... I want to see the uh, the source. I want to see the beginning. Me too. It's been it's been so long that I also have trouble remembering like what Graha was like in the beginning. So I'm I'm excited for that. I really want to I really want to get to know this cat boy. You know, so uh, get excited for that next time. But uh, but for now, I've been one of your hosts, Jane. I've been your other host, Nero. And we're gonna catch you next time on the wild fields of Eorzea.